Welcome in episode 194 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. And this episode is brought to you by Elisis. If you're in the market for a professional quality multi-pad, check out the Elisis Strike Multi-Pad. It has nine trigger pads. It also has uh, lights for each pad that you can assign to a different color. So you can keep track of which pads have loops on them by maybe making all your loops red. And then any one shots, maybe make those green. Great way to kind of organize your whatever you have assigned to your pad. It has a nice screen, a big screen on the front panel, so you can actually edit the waveforms of the samples that are uploaded to the unit. Super cool feature. Tons of other features that you can connect up to, I believe it is, five triggers to the back of this thing. Foot switches. It's got two sets of outputs, uh, mains and, and aux. It also has two different headphone connectors is a quarter inch and an eighth inch so all kinds of ways to make this thing work with your setup also the the sounds that are come loaded on this thing are unique and custom they're not your standard generic samples lots of great acoustic drums percussion melodic instruments loops all kinds of cool features so definitely check it out the elisa strike multi-pad our intro beat is brought to you by nicholas he says this beat was inspired by john fishman of the band Fish, and especially the song The Wedge. The gear he's using here is a Yamaha recording custom kit. He's got Zildjian K and A custom cymbals. He's using AKG C214 overheads, a short Beta 98 on the toms and snare, and an EVRE320 on the front of his 20-inch bass drum. So let's check it out. This is Nicholas, and let's get the show running. I believe you. <laughs> One, two, three. What? You, you snapped what? on four. Do it again. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh my god. That was like lethal weapon off of the toilet. I totally what forgot to get to four. <laughs> sorry, we're writing a new tune in three. Waltz One, in. <laughs> two, three, four. That was our first waltz. That was our first misfire snap ever. Ever. What episode is this? Four episodes in, and we misfired our snap for the first Man. time. That You're was fired. I'm a new co-host. I'm taking applications at MD Info at Modern oh, Good luck, bro. Good luck. If anyone had any idea how much insane amount of work we put into this, they wouldn't want to be a part of it. <laughs> this takes up our entire day. What's up, everybody? Hope you guys are doing amazing. I'm actually excited about today's podcast. Well, I'm excited about all of them, but I'm super excited about today because. Tyshawn Sori is a drummer that I really, really enjoy, look up to, but I don't actually know him personally, only know him through the Minel Symbols family, and I'm excited to dig into that, but I'm also really excited to dig into CAD microphones, because it's something I don't know a lot about, hmm. and I think a lot of us see the price, and we go, well, they can't be any good, so yep. I'm excited to hear your review, I'm excited to hear the sound demos and everything, and... Um, it's a weird thing in business. Sometimes you can price yourself so low that people are like, well, that must suck. You're like, whoa, I was trying to save you money. Yeah, what's what the heck? That? That's like, I mean, it's kind of like the Ludwig <laughs> Acrolyte, right? It's like, it can't be it's, a good drum. <laughs> it's, it's exactly it's like the Ludwig Acrolyte. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then there's the balance, too, where it's like, wait, how much did you pay for your PDP? 2600 What? How much did you get a DW? And then it's confusing again. Why am I yelling? I don't know. Do you think Jeez. about prices much? I mean, I think about it when it's painful, but anything that's not painful, I'm like, eh, whatever. I guess it's valuable. Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a really good question. Obviously, since I've gone down the vintage rabbit hole, I'm buying drums again, and I'm and it, it's tough for me to find, like, well, I'm not a vintage collector. I don't know if this is the right – like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, 1,000? Cool. <laughs> 500? Cool. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to barter with you. So, um, so yeah, so it, it is uh, – I, I guess I think about it, like you said, when it's painful. When I'm thinking about getting a new camera body and I'm like, oh, my gosh, okay, this is enough money that I have to really give it some thought. Yeah. Uh, the other thing – and. I don't know if we can find a direct analogy in the drum world, but in the camera lens world, there's a lot of Mark One, Mark Two, Mark Three. So I'm going to get the Canon L series 35 millimeter lens. Well, the Mark One came out 12 years ago, and it's $800. And then the Mark Three is the newest one, same lens, but it's the newest one, and it's $2,000. dollars mm. What's the difference? It's a tiny bit sharper, but I'm going to be uploading this to Instagram. But what if I did do something bigger with it later? Do I want to have people that are pixel peeping be able to see how clear it is? It's tough, you know. Uh, can you think of anything that's had, like, I guess maybe the Black Beauty? 
and some, I guess, different Ludwig snare drums have had different renditions, and there's, you kind of, but but in this case... Not really. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. I think it's different when you're talking about technology. It's true. Very know, true. I can't think of a drum thing where like the old version is so much worse. I can't think right. of it. Yeah. I honestly. mean, in the snare drum world, we have to pay more to go backwards generally. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like um, the, even pedals, like the 5,000 is one thing. The 9,000 is a totally separate thing. I don't compare them. Yeah. I don't know. Still. Well, and I mean, when I look at like the most modern 5,000, I would much rather have that over the oldest 5,000. So I guess maybe the 5,000 is a good analogy. Anything that has moving parts would be a good analogy because they're yeah, trying true. to make it smoother and make it a little bit better. Um, but anyways, wow. So that just <laughs> happened. How are you doing, bud? Random. So I got one of the most fun tracks to, to record this week that's got me inspired all over again. What? It's a it's a guy I, I played some cover band gigs with, but he's really, really talented and, and eccentric. He's basically... He has like three parts of his personality. He can do like the old school Bobby Darren crooner thing. Oh, but, oh wow. But that's coming more from a Mike Patton influence. Yes. So his original music is like Mike Patton meets like sci-fi music themes. Bro, you're in heaven. Yeah, I'm in heaven. He basically gave me a track to do whatever you want. And it's 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 so fun. I mean, I'm just playing wow. everything. It's got chops and everything. It's like I'm having a lot of fun with it. So that's. You, I'm ready you to have play to show again. us when it gets done, man. You have to show us when it gets done. Uh, yeah, that's I mean, really the cool, man. Notes I've played in years on purpose. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm in I'm in note density mode too because I leave on Saturday for Greece, where I'll be playing nightly. So at the end of the camp every day, then there's I guess a night jam. So it'll be a night jam with myself, Chris Coleman, Derek Roddy, and George Calias. So I'm in note density mode. Jam or cutthroat? (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll see. I I can tell you this. I think that that's where you pull the I'm all about the pocket card. (laughs) Like, like you don't want to, you do not get into the octagon with Chris Coleman. It's going to go bad for you. Well, I mean, you can't even get into the pocket octagon with Chris Coleman. (laughs) That's true. I think that's where I go. You know what? I'll just stand in the back and try to explain what just happened to anybody that wants to know. You just raise your hand when something cool happens. I'll walk over and tell you. You can grab a uh, shaker, maybe. Oof, I don't even know if I want to do that. What if he gives me the stink eye and he's like, you're dragging? I'm like, oh, God. So anyways, uh, it should be fun. I'm excited to head over there. I've never been to Greece. We've got 45 students from all over the world coming to that thing. The wow. whole camp is totally sold out, so it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a big camp, big camp. So I teach twice a day. Uh, so what's cool is I can introduce a topic in my first class in the day. Then there's a couple more classes in between my first class and my second class. And then we can pick up where we left off instead of just like, here's some random stuff and here's some more random stuff. Like we can really grow throughout the week. So I'm really excited about that. And then, uh, have a little time off there and then come back home. And then I've got my first advanced camp of the year starting right when I get home. So that'll be exciting as well. Wow. I mean, I think teaching would almost have to be in quotes when you're in a group that big. Like it's, Oh, it's it's almost like a clinic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, you know, it's. I think that that's the perfect ex, or, um, definition of the word master class. Like, it's a class. You're not all going to get a chance to get up here on the kit, mm. but I'm not going to do anything that causes you to clap at any point in time. Mm-hmm. At no point will I say, now you just sit back in your chairs and listen to me rip. Hey, like, that's my entire career then. that's why you are the master of the master class so yeah so i'm excited for that but also just like i've been lucky enough to experience with other camps like this is i get to be in the camp when the other guys are teaching and i love that Mm. stuff i mean i i see it as like well i'm gonna go do my thing but then there's also the other aspect of it which is like i get a week of being in Derek Roddy and Chris Coleman masterclasses. This is going to be awesome. I can't right. wait to take that stuff. The only thing that's tough is as one of the teachers, you don't want to show that you're excited too to run out of the room and, and kick some kid off the kit so you can practice. <laughs> so you have to be like, yeah, I'm into, yeah, I've, I've been doing that stuff for a while. But in my head, I'm like, get off the kit, child or old man. I want to play. I got to practice this stuff. I'm super excited right now. You know what? I actually would appreciate it if, if, you know, the, 
the mask came off and you guys were like legit like practicing each other's yeah. stuff that would be pretty neat to see what happens well they're gonna see me doing it because i i have no <laughs> shame i i need to get better at this instrument so i'm i'm, I'm having fun with it should be it should be good stuff i have to remind everyone if you're in the Brooklyn, Union City, New Jersey, Cockeysville, Maryland, or Baltimore, Maryland areas. The Dream Symbol Hangs are happening next week, June 3rd. They are in Brooklyn at Strange Weather Recording. Uh, June 4th, they are Kaleidoscope Sound in Union City. June 5th, they're down in Maryland at Stages Music Arts at Cockeysville. And then June 6th, they are at Magpie Cage Recording Studio in Baltimore. Uh, So go to their Facebook page, look at the Events tab. There's all the times, dates, addresses so on and so forth. So, Magpie, are you familiar with that room? No. Uh, no do you know no, no, no. Uh, Jawbox? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's run by the singer guitarist from Jawbox. Really? Yeah, it's okay. a great room. It's a great, great room. That guy's a stud. I'm trying to think. I'm I'm trying to remember if he was also the guitarist singer in uh, Burning for Burning Airlines. Yep, that's him. Okay. That's yeah, that Jay dude's Robbins. a stud. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I played like a, a gig with him. Oh God, where? Uh, somewhere on the East Coast. Uh, oh, in Philadelphia, we played a mm. tiny little room, and I remember the drummer was just this beast of a muscle drummer, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> it had all this feel and touch, and I was like, "This is really cool." Yeah, that's that's awesome. That yeah. guy's a freak on guitar. Like his rhythmic ability to sing whatever he wants while playing whatever he wants is kind of staggering. Yeah, and I think they're doing some shows again. So yeah, go to if if wow. nothing else, follow Magpie's uh, page as well and, and check out what Jay's up to. But definitely go if you're in the area. They're going to have a bunch of symbols there. You can buy some stuff, check out some stuff. I'm going to be for sure for sure at union city cloud scope sound on the fourth i'm trying to get to a couple of the other ones um but we'll see i'll definitely be at Kaleidoscope sound anyway go to facebook dream symbols click on the events tab rsvp and we'll see you there awesome for the all right let's get into impromptu what? ad <laughs> that's not an ad that's telling people what's happening and that was the whole point of this podcast in the beginning, was to tell people what is happening, what is going on, and now it is time to tell them that quarter note triplets are what's going on. <laughs> Let's get into some fun, fun stuff. <laughs> God, I love quarter note triplets. Sometimes I just walk around and I don't tell anybody the pulse, but I sing them, and I go, bah, bah, bah. <laughs> people don't know where it's at. They think that's the quarter note, and I'm like, nope. You don't know my pulse. All now, right. Now, do you know if your tendency is to drag them or rush them? My tendency is to not play them because uh, okay. No, I, <laughs> I would say um, I would say my tendency on these would be to probably rush. I and the reason I say that is anything. It depends. If I have it the way that he wrote it, where there's a subdivision and then I'm hitting the quarter note triplets inside of subdivisions, mm-hmm. it's going to be fine. But if you just let me off on my own. Anything that has a lot of space in it, I rush because I feel tense, like, oh, God, I'm not going to make it, Hmm. and I end up rushing. And then anything that's really dense, I feel like, ease up, you know, ease up, man, and then I end up dragging it because I ease it up too much. Okay, interesting. Well, we have... It's all about uh, knowing yourself. We're cracking open the July issue, which digitally just came out today, which is May 29th. You should be seeing your physical copies next week if you haven't already. It's the one with Nico McGrain on the cover. So Bill Bachman is back for, I think this is the last of his eights and sixes series, quarter note triplets. So here's the premise. You play four eighth notes with one hand. Then you play two beats of sixteenth note triplets or sextuplets starting with the other hand but you accent every fourth partial of those 16th note triplets, which then outlines the quarter note triplet pulse. Mm-hmm. So that's the number one, simple, right? Can you can you outline a quarter note triplet within sextuplets? He really ups the ante when he says, okay, cool, but now can you play more than just one accent within that quarter note triplet pulse? So instead of just accenting the first of every four, in these sextuplets, accent the first and second of every four of the sextuplets. Okay. First, let me train wreck that real quick. <laughs> so, uh, 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 Okay. Okay. Not okay. too bad, right? I think that's... Not too bad. That's like we're getting to sort of advanced. Now, try to accent the first and fourth 
of each four note. Okay, grouping. so not the first of four, but the first and fourth. Yeah. So it's going to have that like it's like a um, pat of flop lock like kind of vibe. Yeah. Or a song so. I just want to thank Bill Bachman for writing this. Let's talk about Tyshawn Sori. He's our featured artist today. And, uh, dude, there's no way I'm falling for your trap, Dawson. I'm not no, playing that thing without practicing that's the it. one, and that's example three. And when I got to that today, reviewing it, I'm like, oh, man, it's, it's intellectually easy, but I've never actually practiced like mixed accent patterns within because I think we all just say okay quarter note triplets I'm going to just emphasize the downbeat of, of the pulse of the quarter note triplets yeah we yeah. don't start adding I, and, extra accents or displacing the accent very often you know and I will say the way that I really was able to internalize quarter note triplets in the beginning it wasn't through playing 16th note triplets and hitting every fourth it was through playing 8th note triplets and hitting every other yeah, right, but yep. what I had to do to get that feel down was play 8th note triplets and then just move my right hand to a sound source and I never stopped playing the 8th note triplets just my right hand was now on a cowbell and my left hand was on my lap and then it was like oh, okay so that's it against a pulse because I, I always had a hard time hearing them like especially if I was playing in a uh, school band or something and they just showed up out of nowhere, and mm-hmm. I had no reference to jump into them. I was like, I don't know how this relates to a pulse. Um, and, you know, obviously they don't give you a quarter note pulse underneath it visually for you to yeah. see where it falls. So it was just like three notes. I'm like, oh, oh, this is going to suck. So that's one of the things that you can do uh, for any of you guys and girls out there. Just start playing eighth note triplets. Make sure you have a metronome on and you have that one end, a two end, a three end, a four end, a one end, a two end. And then just move that right hand to something a little bit louder. And then take away the left hand, and then you'll have what you need for that little moment there. Uh, but this, but then doing it with 16th note triplets and having that one end, a one end, a two end, a two end, a, and switching into that, that's, that's the biscuits. I just yeah. made a course on that. So, <laughs> But I can tell you what I did not do, and because it, it was drum set related, but if you got rid of all the subdivisions in those 16th note triplets except for the accents, that's definitely something I can't do. I would need those notes there to keep me on track. And I'm really looking forward to working on number two and number three, playing them as written, and then eventually pulling those notes out and just having those accents there. Yeah. That seems very Chris Dave, Spanky, Annika Nellis, like, okay, there we go. Or is that weirdness? You could replace the two unaccented notes with the bass drum, and now you're playing like a linear fill thing. Absolutely. I think you might have, to back up, I think you might have hit on why most of us who've gone through the traditional music system didn't can't do this because we learned quarter note triplets based on eighth note triplets rather than sixteenth note triplets. Great, great point. We're ignoring uh, all those definitely. extra subdivisions that live within that pulse. Yeah. So all, all they can do is accent the downbeat of it. You can't. There's no. There's no nothing else to accent if you base it right. on eighth note triplets. Yeah, you, I you mean, when we get one, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to be gained from this, but. When you do this kind of work for any of you out there, they're like, eh. Especially if you're flipping through the pages of MD and you see something like this, I guarantee, unless you're, you know, book nerd Dawson Johnston, <laughs> then <laughs> you are going to flip Donston. straight past this. Yeah. <laughs> unless you're book nerd Donston, you're going to flip straight past this and be like, I don't need it. I'm telling you, this stuff is what develops your ear. Not only do you end up growing from this yourself, but then you recognize it when someone else does it. I'm always baffled by when I hear legit jazz pianists, um, any jazz soloist. I'm like, that dude or chick is so much more rhythmically gifted than any drummer I know. Mm. I hear this stuff all the time. The most advanced rhythmic and um, or rhythmic theory-based stuff that I hear is from instruments other than drums. I always hear, and maybe it's because they have a melody. So because of that melody, it's it's even cooler. Like if you have four notes playing in sixteenth notes as a melody, and then you switch that to a new subdivision and you modulate it, it it has a very cool effect. Yeah, and it doesn't always have that on drums unless you're playing melodically. And so I think that having this type of knowledge under your belt, it doesn't mean that you actually have to use it. It just means that when it happens, you recognize it, you appreciate it. You know, when these phrases resolve because you're experienced in them, you can jump in, you can jump out. It's very cool stuff. Yeah. I'm even thinking with example three, which is the one where he's 
he's accenting the first and fourth note of each quarter note triplet. <laughs> right. How do you describe this? A sextuplet, he's accenting the first, fourth, and fifth, and then the second and third, and the sixth of <laughs> the two groups. Yeah, nailing it, bro. <laughs> but one, Educator of the year. I think of it as it's a four-note cell. You accent the first and fourth. First and fourth inside groups of six. Inside um, groups of six. But but it does cycle. That's the hard part. It's not just the first and fourth and then you stop. It's first and fourth repeat. Yeah, because um, it extends over two I've, pulses. Two yeah, I, I visually see it as um, dotted eighth followed by a sixteenth. That rhythm stuck inside of sixteenth. Oh, right, triplets. right. Yeah. So I see like, it as one e and a two e and a three e and a four e, but stick that rhythm inside of sixteenth note triplets. Ah, there you go. But then you start orchestrating that around the kit. That's why I love Bill's stuff because he comes from the drum corps background and a drum set background. So none of his stuff is going to be so drum corps heavy that there's no room to expand it. I mean, you just start moving these accents around the toms, and you've got tons of ideas. Well, and he's he's keeping this with all single strokes. You do this with any of your pattern work. Yeah. Do this same thing with a paradiddle diddle or a double paradiddle. Anything that you already know in six, the six stroke roll, boom, game changer. Yep, I'm ready to practice. Let's move on, Sean. I was going to say, let's just <laughs> shut this thing down. Get, get my pad out. Let's go. Uh, good stuff. Well, everyone, check out this new article. This is this is the last of this series, right? I think so. I can't remember how Fourth many. Fourth and final sent. installment of our eights and six series. So check this out. This is in the Strictly Technique section of the current issue of MD. The digital edition just came out today, and you'll be able to see the paper edition soon. Paper edition? Copy? Version? Anyways, Nico McBrain's on it. He's smiling. Got an Iron Maiden shirt. You know you're you're a stud when you can wear your own band's shirt. Out of boy, Nico. I know. I mean, he, that's timeless. We'll talk about him in a, in the future week. But that's a just band to run that, by the to run by the merch table at your own concert and be like, "Give me a medium and just slap it on for the show." <laughs> I know they like they break all the rules, but yet somehow they have a cool factor that's that's undefinable. <laughs> right on. All right, <laughs> let's move into some gear. Yes? No. No, Tyshawn. No, sorry. Tyshawn. Well, he plays gear. He, he plays gear that's similar to uh, my gear. He's got an ANF snare. He's got some minor cymbals. Oh, he's he's got a full ANF kit. Yeah, I think he switched to Pisces, though. Hate to break it to yeah, you. I, yeah, yeah, I know that. Um, <laughs> as I'm looking, as I'm scrolling through the pictures, I'm like, man, his minors look way shinier than mine because they're Pisces. <laughs> Whatever. I still like him. I'm still a fan. Okay, so yeah, I have a quick question. Well, can we do this? Can we play a clip of Tyshawn um, playing something? I, I was looking at the Minel Symbols video, but if yeah. you want to play something with him playing Pisces, that's fine. I don't care. <laughs> We're going to grab. This is going to be uh, it's, the YouTube video is Minel Symbols Tyshawn Sorry Drum Video Template. The song is called Template. So we're going to check out Tyshawn playing this. dig into this guy this guy's stuff for for hours i think yeah um, okay so one of the things that i'm most excited <laughs> about right now is my desire to do a podcast like this and to associate it with md was the fact that modern drummer magazine is what brought my attention to the future of drumming and always kept me in the loop I think that Tyshawn is not somebody that's going to just show up on your doorstep and just be pushed in your face through major label albums but it's it's the drum industry's responsibility to make sure that you know who this is because who he will be for the next 30 or 40 years. This will be a force in our industry. He's a brilliant drummer. But my first question to you is this, and I, I think I'm asking this for our audience. Mm -hmm. When you hear that style of drumming, there is this version of drumming that you and I easily dismiss as like Instagram chops or or I would say almost like modern 30-second 
clip chops where it's like <laughs> right. all right, you're just blowing chops for 30 seconds and then you turn the camera off yeah. what is the difference between that and this in your opinion because you straddle the lines between pop drummer and jazz drummer <clears throat> for me this the missing element um no disrespect for anyone else but it's the concept Tyshawn is okay. so deep on concept um and his his musical acumen is so advanced i mean it is he's genius level musical acumen um so all that everything he's playing there i don't know what he's playing but i guarantee he can tell you where it's all coming from like the exact concept behind everything he's playing so it's all very deliberate i think he probably said okay i'm going down the mind i need to do something that's drummy (laughs) but right because we know that he can do things that a drummer, it would take the average drummer 16 years to appreciate it, and then they'd go, Oh my god, yeah, um, yeah. He's and then obviously, for this, he's he's in he's in another planet when you talk about concepts. I mean, I, I first time I met him years ago, probably going back 12 years ago, was at a jam session at a club here in Jersey. He just showed up and sat in and played and sounded, sounded like Jack DeJanette, it was amazing. But what was most impressive was after they took a break he went over to the piano and he was playing he like transcribed the the organ player's licks like he memorized it he's got like perfect oral recall he like memorized what the guy was playing which just kind of freaked me out i was like okay that's that's another level of of musical intelligence that i can't touch (laughs) you know and i think that's kind of also what makes him you know it's like a it's an investment. If you want to get into Taishan Sori's drumming and music, it's an investment because he's not going to play anything that he's done before or that anyone else has necessarily done before. It's going to be his own take on everything. Right. So it's like it's hard for sometimes it's hard for me to find like where's his references because they're they're his own. He's got his own stuff going on at this point. Right. And he's coming from a musical perspective rather than a drums only perspective. Yeah, but he plays great not, trombone. I mean, he's he's really really talented, and he's a doctor, by the way. He's got a doctorate from Columbia. So, no, well, I, obviously, <laughs> where's where's yours, man? I hang mine right on my and he poster right next to Wesleyan Phil Collins. College. I mean, he's like I said, he's he's Jeez. like genius level musical uh, acumen. That that's it's something. And he won the, uh, the was it the MacArthur uh, Fellowship? What the heck? Yeah. So he's okay. I'm feeling a sl- I'm feeling slightly underachieved today. <laughs> I kind of felt like I was crushing it in 2019, but now I know my content is whack. Um, dang, <laughs> that's amazing. Um, okay, yeah. By the way, that Mino video was is three years ago. He probably is not too happy that we're referencing an old video like that, but I think that is the best representation of him playing what we think of as modern drumming. Um, right, but. Again, if you dig into to the history of, because he's you know New York City guy, his references for that, I would bet, I would guess, are Steve Coleman's band, which is a they call he calls his music in bass. It's essentially like improvised groove music. So I think that's kind of where this is coming from. Marvin Smith right. was one of the original guys associated with that movement. Will Calhoun was associated with that movement. Jack DeJanette. So you can see his ties to the history there. Um, but at the same time, that's completely his own his own approach yeah. to it. I love – there's a quote from the article you guys did with him where he says, if you're not vulnerable in the act of music making, you're not in the music. Uh, it's a shared experience. It's a special kind of bonding that you can't get any other way. But I think that one little statement about being vulnerable is probably the biggest thing standing in most of our way of – taking that next step you can practice all day long but if you're not willing to take chances and to close your eyes and just say i'm committed to this it is happening and i'm actually not really worried about or i'm not i'm not going to care i'm indifferent to what people think about it and to the outcome because i'm going to i'm going to share my soul here on this instrument that's a different level of drumming uh and something that i don't know if many people even want to achieve that but when you see it there's just an immediate appreciation for how committed that person is to whatever their art form is. Yeah, and I think that's what what prevents you from ever sounding pretentious. You know, like when you're talking about experimental, creative, improvised music, you know, you can 
you can take it really far out, but if it's really something coming from your heart and your soul, it's believable. Right. Whereas, you know, you, someone else could kind of mock it and it would be totally pretentious. It's, it's a fine line well, yeah. between art and, and satire, I think, almost in a way. When you see the drummer occasionally look up to catch the eyes of the crowd and see if they're digging it, it's already over. Right. <laughs> if you need to make eye contact with somebody to get a, like a head nod of approval, it's already over. Uh, I can't imagine that he ever looks up while playing his stuff to go like, are you guys digging this? You feeling this? Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I think that it's 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 just a it's a different type of thing that you have to do as a player to get to this level and chase the art form rather than chase the credit that you can get from i mean obviously even from listening to that little clip with Milo, like i said if you didn't know the depth of the concepts he was playing if you take the music out you can tell the dude could play chops could play circles around almost any drummer so then why did you gain all of that hand speed, that coordination, that independence, that musicality? Did you gain it just so people would tell you how good you are? Or did you gain it so you could express yourself through your instrument? And he just he kind of exudes that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, he's he's definitely a hero of mine that in in a way to just stay true to yourself. Like he even says in the in the story that, you know, I'm expensive. That's how he gets out of having to do gigs, like regular gigs. He's like, I'm, I'm expensive. If if you're gonna, if you want me to play, you gotta pay me. <laughs> that's awesome. Which I think that's a bold way to approach being an artist. Is I'm not gonna take any gig because I'm afraid there'll never be more gigs. It's more like, no, I know I'm. I have something valuable, and I'm not gonna yeah. spend my effort and time on something if you're not gonna, if I'm not gonna be compensated. And it's not just financial. I think it's also the art. Like he only wants to get involved stuff that he can really dig into so yeah, yeah. he's um so what was i going to say there's there's so many layers so the story i think is really good i've read it several times so i don't want to yeah and the fact that i mean it. he just didn't have enough going on so now he's you know raising his two-year-old daughter that's that's great <laughs> that he just has so much free time Dude, what, what can't this man do it's a modern day hero so there was uh, the, the, the story ends I'll, I'll kind of spoil the ending where he talks about because now he's you know he's a full professor at wesleyan and he's teaching composition um, and he's he's younger than me I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not even 40 yet so that's also so amazing that he's achieved that level but he tells a story about a student you know that she was really ashamed of her final project she didn't she was embarrassed to present it and he just took her aside and say, hey, what's going on? Why is this a problem? And he took the time to help her figure out just a couple tweaks. And he says in the story that it was the it was the best sounding piece on the concert. So he's wow. he's now assumed the role of I'm going I'm here to help people get out of their own way and achieve their own dreams and realize, you know, you got to make some mistakes in order to get good and. So it's yeah. really, I wish I could study with him because I was that student in college, like none of my work was ever going to be good enough, you know, like, and then to have someone like him, that's an obvious genius at this, say, hey, let's make it okay. It's all right. <laughs> let's figure it yeah. out. You don't need to For get upset sure. about it. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, especially at that age, everything, every single second of your life is the most important second yeah. of the history of the world. Right. And so it's hard to see that, you know, even if it was a train wreck, you will grow so much from that. Yeah, right. Uh, it, it's hard to see that, and I, I fully understand that. But that's cool that he's taken on that role and has the humility to also be like, okay, I'm here to help. And because obviously he has the skill set to do anything he wants in our in our world of music, and the fact that teaching is a big part of it to me is is amazing. So yeah, he says, uh, well, I, "I hope to give a sense of belief to any student." I think that's really important, like just a yeah. sense of belief that you can actually do it. Yeah, because um, wow. uh, again, we're sitting there looking at this guy like he's a freak, and you could easily say, "Well, he's he's a different kind of person. I could never do that." Well, maybe he's just knew right away when he was a kid that this is what he wanted to do. He's just right. further along. I don't know, but he's great. So, yeah, I, I recommend everyone check out some Taishan Suri. I think the most palatable stuff for someone who's not into this scene would be the Vijay Iyer Trio. That's V-I-J-A-Y-I-Y-E-R. He's on several of those records. Um, he's on the Sextet record, Far From Over, and he's done a lot of touring with them as well. So there's probably footage of him on YouTube performing with that group. That's a piano trio, so it's a traditional format that you can kind of 
you can understand rather than if you dig into his solo projects it can be a little bit foreign to you if you're not into that world i love that uh vj says uh as the years went on people were like wow this guy's a sorcerer uh, in the sense that everybody would basically be worshiping him by the end of the set. Uh, that's <laughs> pretty decent praise. <laughs> I can't remember the last gig where people were worship- worshiping me by the end of the set. Well, that's because it's never happened. All right. Everybody check out <laughs> Taishan Sori. He's fantastic. And uh, I think I, you know, one day we're going to have to do our own Mount Rushmore of drummers, our personal ones. But I got to say, uh, I, 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 I'm very excited to practice Bill's article and to dig into Taishan much, much more after this. So this is really cool. All right, now let's do something. <laughs> you decide what that is. All right, so we need to thank our sponsor for the episode, Elisis, uh, the Strike Multipad. This, you know, this week what we're going to do is actually drop in some demo that has already been produced by our good friend Nick DiVirgilio over at Sweetwater. Um, so I grabbed you know the, some audio from their demos on YouTube, but this is the opening beat and then the ending little demo so this is all preset stuff he just basically turned on the multi-pad and just started playing so what you're hearing are sounds that come with the unit and he's playing it all live Um, so let's check that out first So what I noticed right away, and we'll dig in much more uh, about this pad in a future episode, is just the realness of the actual samples themselves. I think that's where they really stepped it up. These these sound like real drums sampled rather than just the stock recycled versions of kicks and snares that we've heard for decades. It's fresh content, fresh material. Sounds like a real drum set to me. Um, so that aside from everything else all the other features this thing has the fact that the sounds that come with it sound real and original is worth checking it out i think you can say that about all the other multi-pads most of them it's like hey here's some basic stock sounds now you upload your own stuff is where yeah i mean one thing that in. i don't think a lot of people think of when they think of a multi-pad is doing exactly what nick just did where he played an entire drum set on the pad we're always thinking like well i've got my drum set mm-hmm. now let me play all these weird sounds but I mean, even the idea of programming a kit like that for the bridge of a section where you play the entire drum set on the multi-pad, but it's just something different than the kit you have mic'd up, right. really cool stuff. Yeah. So thanks, Elisis, for sponsoring the episode. Again, like I said, I will do a full-on demo review of this this thing soon. Um, it, at least it's made it to my studio, so I've got one step closer to actually Atta making boy. the demo. That a boy. You know, I have a feeling that that piece of gear is similar to other pieces of gear that I've had in the past where I didn't dig into them right away. Cause I just was, I had this fear of like, it's going to, once I start, I won't be able to stop and it's going to be a new addition to my whole world. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I haven't taken that damn tackle jingle jangle thing off my symbol <laughs> since I put it on and I don't want, I don't want to have to like travel. Like, did, did I remember my jingle jangle? I just want to, you know, show up. There's a four piece kit couple symbols i play i don't i don't want to be a slave to the jingle jangle but now i am taken down by the jingle jangle oh man you are just a gold mine of sound bites 
I'm just a walking, walking T-shirt. All right, let's get into the CAD seven-piece microphone setup. Uh, so this is the stage seven. We've got uh, the D80, D88 and D89 microphones. Uh, this gives you everything you need. You've got kick, snare, three toms, and two overheads all in this seven-mic pack. So um, now are you personally the one that reviewed these? I did. Yep, and the video okay. and audio we're going to drop in is is from my studio. So we've you know we've heard what my studio sounds like normally. So this will be the same room, just with all these mics swapped in uh, and zero processing, other than just master bus limiting to keep the the volume up. Um, so to spoil the surprise, the seven piece stage seven mic pack cost two hundred and twenty nine dollars. See, seven microphones. <laughs> Telling you, Cad, bump that to four ninety nine. <laughs> Everyone will take it seriously. Okay, so that's that's what I'm excited about. I'm curious about could you actually get a good drum sound with a seven mic pack for three hundred bucks? So you want to listen to it first, or I'll give you my impressions mm-hmm. and then listen to it. Yeah, let's give it a listen. Okay. So if you were somebody that wanted to learn how to mix a full set of drums, I can't see why you wouldn't get this, especially if you're on a budget. <clears throat> yeah, and I think anyone who maybe you're just you're playing a lot of clubs and you want to have your own set of mics, this is kind of a no-brainer as well, just in case you need to mic up your full kit or just use the snare and bass drum or, or just the drums and not the overheads. I think the overheads would probably be the the first thing to go on a general casual gigging situation just because they're condensers and you got to have phantom power on your board and all of that but my overall impressions with just that pack the tom mics are pretty much all you would need i don't i don't i didn't hear any problems with the tom mics whatsoever they're they're fine they capture the drums exactly like they sound in the room you can tweak them if you need to or you can just leave them as they are the snare mic um the good the good part of it it was kind of no fuss. You clip it on. It sounds good. It has. It's super cardioid, so it doesn't. There's not a lot of bleeds. So you don't have hi hat kind of destroying it. Um, it has kind of a built-in, almost a built-in gating effect. So it just kind of, you know, it's controlled. It's a controlled sound. It's not the most nuanced and dynamic microphone. Uh, no pun intended for the snare drum. But if you're playing a club where you're just smashing backbeats, perfect. No problem whatsoever. Um, the overheads again, they sound fine. They're they're very bright. I would think of them as they're they're cymbal mics. They're not a they're drum set. mics. Yeah, yeah, it's not a drum set overhead system. So I would probably put them down close to the crash and ride or something like that. Uh, but they they were fine. So the whole kit. I mean, you heard sounds like a drum set. There was no. I yeah. didn't hear any super harshness. I mean, like I said, it depends on what you're doing. If you're, I could see this for somebody that's on a budget but wants to learn to mix. I mean, there are a lot of people that are young and just starting out and just saying like, I don't have a lot of money, but I want to, I want to, I want to be in the lab with this stuff. I want to track mm-hmm. a full kit and just sit on my laptop and try to make it sound better and better and better. Um, so I think for something like that, it's perfect. The live gigging situation, like you said, obviously, but I also think too, if you went up a couple thousand dollars into some crazy mics and your only place to upload this stuff was to Instagram where people are going to listen through their phone. Yeah. I don't free. know that you really need more than this. No. I mean, the, the bass drum mic, I think, uh, you know, part of me says if, if you're new to recording and mixing, this is a good mic because you have to kind of know how to tweak it. You have to mess with it. Um, the bass drum mic was, would be the first thing I would upgrade, even though it was fine. I mean, you put it inside the drum on a club date, it'll, it'll sound fine. It, it took a bit of effort to get some snap out of it. Um, it was kind of a little bit wolfy, but again, if you know how to EQ it, it'll sound fine. 
Okay, now they do offer a nicer bass drum mic and a nicer snare drum mic. So the D88 bass drum mic, the D89 snare mic, you reviewed those as well, right? Yeah, so the so if I was buying my first set of mics, I was considering the Stage 7 mic pack. I would get that. I would learn how to make it sound good. And then when you feel like you've got, you know, those mics really well, the first thing I would do would be update the bass drum mic to the D88 because it was, okay. you know, similar to like, an Audix D6 or a, a Shure Beta, Beta 52, 52, it just, it kind of does all the work for you. You put it on the drum and it sounds good, which is cool if you don't want to worry about it, but if you want to learn how to EQ and mix, right. it's kind of misleading because it's like, oh, my bass drum sounds amazing. <laughs> Whereas right. with the yeah. the one that comes with the pack, it's like you've got to, you got to spend some time. You have to learn how to mix. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, well, let's, um, so you did a demo with the D88, D88 and the D89? Yep. Let's check. check that out. Yeah, I think that that's that one level of boost that you need to feel confident about your mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's right? more low I mean, end, there's more punch, it's just more presence. Yeah, um, no, I, I think the whole drum set sounds better just because that. it is really weird how the bass drum microphone and the, and the snare drum microphone can affect the way the entire drum set sounds so much, but it yeah. really can a lot. Um, mo- almost more important question, whose Rogers is that? That's mine. Those what? I didn't know you had that. Yeah, I've had those forever. <laughs> okay, so break. We'll get back to the CADs. Break down the specs on this. What are the sizes? This is an early '70s Rogers. It is uh, what's in the the video is a 14 by 22 bass drum. A I believe I had the 12 up, so that's the 8 by 12 and a 16 by 16 floor tom, and then the chrome over brass power tone 5 by 14 snare. Uh, those are oh. that's that's the kid I took on the road with me, and it, it it's my that's my baby. That's your friend. Okay, Even that's though your, that's your... I would probably Desert Island pick my Ludwig. I don't know. I think I'm going to do a a shootout of Rogers versus Slingerland versus Ludwig. I think we need to do that because I have the exact same sizes in those three kids. That'd be awesome. Yeah, we're going to conclude that they all sound Gretchen. good. You leave Gretsch out of it so that I can just be like, well, Gretsch would have won if it would have been there. You know, I don't have any Gretsch because the used market for Gretsch is so freaking inflated. (laughs) And you know it's just because that stupid badge. It's just (laughs) so so silly. It's silly. I know. I know. I'm I'm a victim of it, buddy. Um, But, uh, okay, so I, I think I fully agree with you. I think get the pack, start off with that. If you can mix that bass drum mic and really get that to a place where you're happy, then your life is going to get so much easier with the with the D88. Yeah. So same with the D89 snare mic. Uh, do you think that D89 snare mic would work also maybe as a vocal mic if you were like if if somebody was singing into it? I'm not saying tracking, but maybe like a band rehearsal or something. It would. It's again, it's it's a super cardioid pattern, so you have to be really up on it. Uh, okay. it would, if your singer doesn't like to you know have the mic in his or her teeth, it, it probably wouldn't right. be a good choice. Okay. But if okay. if your band is super loud and you have to deal with bleed, it would be a yeah. good choice. But on the snare drum, I found that it it just gave me more presence, more clarity. Yeah, um, it's it made the drum just sound like the drum. Whereas the one that came with the pack, the D nineteen, I felt like it was kind of like scooped on the edges. It just gave me all the punch in the middle. Which again, for a club drummer, it's perfect. But if you're going to record totally fine. with it. I, yeah, I agree with you. I think this is a cool pack, and uh, and definitely it sounded good. Now, before we move to our questions, do mics like this in this price range, do they create any noise whatsoever? Like any line noise? I don't I, know enough I about that stuff. I mean, I didn't okay, so they're super it. clean. Super clean. Um, I know this company, at least the engineers that are involved with this drum mic pack, uh, they were involved with some other companies that are you know their their brand name is much more notorious. Okay. Um, yeah, I didn't notice any. in the clips are are superior to some of the other budget level mics I've tried. I mean, cool. 
I don't really know how they're doing it. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> hey, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bother them about it. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is. Wait a minute. The okay. Wow, man. Okay, so the seven piece mic set. I think I said it was two ninety nine. It's two twenty nine. Two twenty nine. Yep. And then the bass drum mic one ninety nine, and the snare mic eighty nine. Yep. So yeah, yeah the bass drum mic isn't a serious upgrade. Um, one word of I don't know why it's designed this way. Maybe I, I was too stupid to figure it out. But the way that the mic cable connects to the D eighty eight bass drum mic, it comes out at an angle. So I couldn't get my mic stand to allow the mic to go like inside the drum all the way. Mm, I can see that, which yeah. is kind of weird. Yep. But it sounded great just having the mic just just inside the hole. Maybe that's the spot for it anyway. Hmm. Very cool. All right, everybody. Well, you can check out the new Stage 7 mic pack. Uh, it is in the product close-up section of this month's Modern Drummer. All right, let's get into some questions. If I had them. <laughs> Here they are. Okay, so we've got one from Tommy. It says, Tommy Golden, I just purchased a George Way Walnut Snare. And I'd like to begin exploring some wood hoop options. So can you please explain how the various types of wood hoops affect the sound and tone? Is it just cosmetic? Um, yeah. Basically discussing the round over hoops that have the drilled in tension rod um, yeah. spaces or the claws that go over like a just a solid wood hoop. Sure. Uh, uh, I mean, I've, I've only had personal experience with the the drilled ones like Yamaha had because I, I had the Yamaha hoops on a, a full kit and a snare drum. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing I noticed from those, I mean, that and those, God, I don't know if you remember, but I think those must have been like, they're like, they were plied, right? They're like 15 plies or something. Yeah. It wasn't like a solid piece of wood. Um, but I remember it, there was a placebo effect of you telling yourself, my drum set is so warm now. Mm. Oh my gosh. Cause I've got these <laughs> maple hoops on there. It, I, I will say this: the one thing that I got out of it more than it really affecting my drums. My, my drums maybe were a little bit more pillowy sounding, but the one thing I got out of it was the hoops themselves as a playing surface sounded a lot different when I hit them with my sticks mm. than with than metal rims. And I ended up playing so much more on my wood hoops than I ever had played on my rims before because it was like, oh, cool! I just added percussion to my entire kit, mm-hmm. so I really got a lot of that out of it. I've never had the the ones that. Uh, are more with with the hoops um, with the claws. Yeah, they're similar. I mean, I've had the, the, the I have one drum that has that, and the downside of the claw option is if you're not careful, you end up smacking the metal rod, and right. that doesn't feel too good on your hands. Uh, no, or doing like a rim click, and you're you're don't realize it, but you're hitting the metal claw, and you're like, why does this rim right. click sound weird? And it's well, and I, I haven't seen a lot of them, but. Most of the ones I've seen, the wood hoops on the snares have almost bass drum-like claws. Like they're yeah, much they're big. bigger than just yeah. the regular clips that you'd get on a '20s Ludwig. Yeah. So I mean, I, the bit, little bit that I've messed with it, I do think it warms up the attack. It makes the rim click a little more earthy sounding. Uh, it's largely cosmetic, um, and I wouldn't necessarily jump to just exploring new hoops right away get to know that drum i totally first. agree <laughs> i was gonna say first of all ron knows what the hell he's doing if yeah. he thought that drum needed wood hoops it would have had wood hoops so i promise you that uh so yeah i would really spend some time with that drum and i would be exploring different heads way yeah. more than i'd be exploring different hoops right now find yes. find the right head for that drum find the right tuning range for that drum where's that drum gonna sit in the mix for you and then go from there all right our next one is from benjamin I'm curious about your opinion on different brands of mesh heads for apartment practice purposes. I've tried the Remo model, but I don't like how much it rebound it delivers. Do the Evans or Aquarian models provide any more of a natural feel? And do you have a preference between the brands? I will tell you from my, I only have experience with the Aquarian and they feel exactly like the Remo. Uh, I can only assume that, Aquarian, Remo, whoever, I, I can't assume they're, they're making their own mesh. I would assume they're just pressing the mesh into their hoops and stuff. So I don't know where the stuff's coming from, but I can tell you that it felt like a mesh head. And only because they always have them at NAM. I am an Aquarian ar- artist, and I choose to use the super pads on my kit at home for my quiet practice because my kit is in in the upstairs and my bedroom is right down the hall from it. And that's where my wife is asleep. And I use the Aquarian super pads. I love those a lot. And I feel like they're better for my wrist. Those, 
those uh, the mesh heads a lot of times they just have so much spring to them. Even when you detune them, there's just a then there's this weird thud to them. It, it's it's hard to find the right balance on mesh heads. Of is it too bouncy or did it just become flat and then kind of hurt your wrists? Mm-hmm. So the only um, the only one that I know that's different, and this is because it's proprietary, is the Roland mesh heads are actually two layers of mesh, so they have a heavier, denser feel. Um, okay. And the reason no one else can offer that is because Roland owns that that version it. of it. So if you okay. want a more, you know, a less springy feel, then you're pr- you're going to have to buy a set of Roland mesh heads. There you go. Um, and I'm sure they're because they're two ply, they're probably a bit more expensive. But that's going to be, you know, the best option if you need to stick with the mesh head thing. The other ones, yeah, I think they're all pretty much the same. Agreed. Um, okay, last one, Curtis. Could you guys walk us through the process you each take or have taken to study a drummer and their playing? Is it merely learning songs they played on, or is there more ways to learn the isms of a favorite drummer and bring their playing into your playing as an influence? You go uh, first, buddy. That could probably be a feature topic, but yeah, um, I would say I've done a number of different things where I've I've just kind of listened to a drummer and tried to just absorb whatever at the moment I can take from them and apply it without getting too scientific about it, which could be whatever. It could be the way they use the hi-hat just as a concept or the way, you know, their, their snare drum sound. Um, and I've gone the other way where I will go like freak science mode and dissect every detail every nuance transcribe it slow it down play along to it record myself playing along to it to see if i can match the original recording note for note um i can't say either one has had a more or less impact on my own playing i think just the process of studying and getting obsessed with other drummers and taking what i like from them shapes who i am Mm -hmm. i can't think of i don't think anyone that well I, okay, here's a case in point. I've never done a Jack DeJohnette like note for note transcription. I have done tons of Philly Joe Jones note for note transcriptions. I think my jazz playing is way more influenced by Jack DeJohnette than Philly Joe Jones. So yeah. take that for what it is. I don't know. No, I, I'm with you. Uh, I'm trying to think. The the last person that I tried to transcribe a little bit is it Damian Reed or Damian? Oh yeah, right. Damian Reed. Um, he had this song that he played with Robert Glasper uh, called, um, I think it's just called Beautiful. Um, but anyways, uh, and it's a it's a cover tune. But uh, I just remember thinking, like, you know what? That's what I want in my playing. That's what I hear in my own playing that's missing. I'm going to transcribe some of this stuff. And I don't know how much of that has made it into my playing. And then when I have more subtle influences where I'm just listening, I'm watching, I'm wishing that I had more of that in my playing without actually transcribing it. It seems like that stuff makes it into my drumming much more often. So I, I kind of feel the same as you. Yeah. I think um, it's when you're, when your heart, like for me, it's like, I can feel it. Like I need to play that style rather than if I'm just well, learning someone like Max Roach, I, I have studied him just for the architecture and everything, but I don't want to sound like Max Roach. I well, want no, to and there's sound this, like <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, there's this weirdness, too, of, like, who's going to call me out on this first? Uh, mm. That's, like, I don't want to come off stage at a clinic someday and have someone go, so, super into Carlock? I'm like, what? Oh, yeah, right. You know, like, okay, I, not, I'm, I'm not being influenced by him. I'm actually stealing his, his intellectual property now. Yeah. I don't want to do that. And I know that I have that tendency in me to take something and, and and then not do my due diligence of going to the next step of making it my own if I take it. Now, if I borrow it and I'm influenced by it, it's impossible for me to steal it because I don't know exactly what happened. A good example of this for me is I'll watch a Dave Weckl video, I'll sit and then I wait for a moment to happen. And then a moment will happen where I recognize like a sticking that I know but I've never done it the way he did it. Instead of transcribing it, I run to the kit. And by the time I get to the kit, I've already got my own version of it. But it was mm. all springboarded from Dave Weckl. So, but, I, but I don't have to worry about somebody going like, oh, yeah, I know that Weckl lick too. It's like, well, I, I actually never found out what Dave ever did. I just waited until I was influenced and inspired. Oh, that's a good point. I mean, I think of 
one of my favorite licks, quote unquote, is when Mickey Roker plays the snare drum and the bass drum at the same time. Okay. But yeah. I don't need to transcribe it. It's just that's yeah. the sound of, of hitting the snare totally. drum and the bass drum at the same time. Yeah. Well, and, and like even back to Carlock, like I have this thing in my head from the Modern Drummer Festival. I've never, I have no idea what Keith did, but in my head, I'm playing the my crash as my ride. I'm playing up by the bell, and I go doom cat cat ticka ticka back at the game, but ticka 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 back up again, up again. You know, it's like okay, I'm going into that Carlock thing, but I have no idea what he did. Or, I mean, you had a Instagram video a long time ago of like a Carlock fill mm-hmm. that you liked, but it's like it's it's like a Carlock ism, and like I enjoy that kind of stuff. I want to have uh, right now. I really want to have a lot of Taishan Sori isms, <laughs> but I'm not going to sit down and try them. to. Yeah, thanks, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I got one. He plays drum set, and so do I. So we're well, we're think, almost brothers. You know, I think as long as you acknowledge that you're like the source, that's that's all I am careful about. Like if I'm just playing and something comes out, I'm like, whoa, I haven't tried that in a long time. That's clearly a Keith Carlock thing. I'm just you just got to credit your source. It's probably just the journalist totally. in me. Like just just no, give the I, credit I where it's due, and then then it's all good. <laughs> yeah, and there's I think there's a tasteful way to do it that. We used to be so scared to credit our sources because we wanted to be the artist, but there's a tasteful way to do it where you're just saying, like, okay, obviously. Like, if I started anything with a, a single hit on a 10-inch rack tom into a rim shot on my snare, clearly I like Abe Cunningham. Right. Dude, <laughs> but it's two notes. I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. give the guy the world. I'm not going to give him royalties off my next record. I'm just saying, clearly I'm a fan of Abe. All right, it's going to sneak in there. So, all right, everybody, keep sending in your questions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. You can email your questions there. You can also email us your audio questions, and we will be doing that in our next episode, getting into a bunch of those. It is now time for what you've all been waiting for picks of the week. <laughs> I've got a gear pick this week. Um, the, Bring it. I, this, this session, I've been working, I've been in a search for like the most all-purpose do-everything hi-hats because lately I've been having to do go very extreme from like hard rock to sort of jazz to artsy indie rock to this crazy experimental thing that I'm doing now. And I haven't been able to find like a set of hi-hats that I felt could just do it all. Just put them up and it'll be fine. If I want to get yeah. different from there, I can. But the 15-inch Zildjian Avidus hi-hats might be the ones. Because they're thin. Did you say Foundry Reserve? Final? <laughs> I couldn't hear. I, sorry, my the connection went out for a second. Is your pick of the week the Foundry Reserves? That'd be amazing. No, 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 no it's not. <laughs> okay, say say it again. Fifteen inch Zildjian. Fifteen inch Zildjian Avidus. So they're they're sort of based on the classic A from the fifties, but they modernized it with a little bit heavier bottom. So it's sort of like a hybrid between the old thin papery A's and the modern new beat. Okay. So for me, the new beat is great, but sometimes it can just be too much metal. And the old A's are great, but sometimes they're just too papery. This is right in the middle. They're not super bright, but they're also not super dark. They're not super dry. They're not super washy. They have a good feel to them. They have clarity, and they look cool. So that's my current, like, first choice hi-hat. 15-inch Avidus by Zildjian. Awesome. Love it. All right. My pick of the week is an artist that I've been following for quite a while on different social media platforms. Uh, her name is Dodie. And I'm going to go real quick to her um, to her YouTube channel. Okay. So I'm not going to call her an up-and-comer up and comer because she does have 1.8 million subscribers on <laughs> YouTube. Um, but definitely one of those... YouTube slash Instagram bedroom artist, just girl with her, you know, acoustic guitar singing some songs to the camera. And then it starts growing and growing and growing and exploding until there's millions of followers. And she is for me, if, if you know anything about me, you know that I'm a huge fan of artistic female pop. I love Fiona Apple, love Tori Amos. I love St. Vincent, uh, PJ Harvey, the list goes on and on. And Dodie sits, she's the modern version of what I need out of artistic female pop. So she has a new album. Uh, she has a new single, a brand new single called Guiltless. I definitely suggest downloading that single because of the fact that it's drumless and it's a really perfect tempo to practice a lot of fun stuff. So check out the single Guiltless. And then her new album is called Human. And we're going to listen to a little bit of this stuff. And this is the kind of thing that I think. 
I, I really wish Mike would have tracked drums for this because it's like right up his alley. But uh, the song we're going to listen to is called Monster, and this is from Dodie's album Human. Just a couple of months. Do, do we know who her drummer is? I mean, no, but dude? he's got a Gretsch kit and uh, Gretsch snare. He's using the Mark Schulman signature snare in, in the video for Monster. And he's got a Yamaha DTX. So I'm thinking, I don't know, I might be able to reach out and and uh, and find out who he is and, and find out if he's her regular drummer or if he's just the guy in the video. But I love the stuff. I don't know who did the album. Uh, you and I were trying to dig into it earlier and – it's just that that modern thing of being like, uh, yeah, no I recorded it in my bedroom. <laughs> I mixed it in my bedroom. No one gets credit. And uh, and this is not one of those situations where I'm telling you guys, go follow her. She needs followers. That's not the case. She's doing fine. I just really like it. <laughs> and I'm always on the search for that next thing, especially if the world hasn't grabbed it just yet. You know, I thought um, – I thought that I discovered Billie Eilish and then I saw her on the Ellen DeGeneres show and I was like, you know what? Fine. (laughs) You're still just as talented, but now I can't take any credit for it, so I'm out. Um, But this is the stuff I like. I mean, I would say probably my favorite artist in the world for the last five years has been Sarah Bareilles. This picks up where that is as well. So really dig it. Dig it. All right. So again, um, if you want to... you know, have a conversation with us on Facebook. There is a Modern Jumper podcast with Mike and Mike Page there. Uh, feel free to comment, post questions, share your input. Maybe you can offer your suggestions for some of the question the answers, whatever. Um, you also can send your your questions there directly. So it's Modern Jumper podcast with Mike and Mike on Facebook. Um, it's you know it's steadily growing, and we haven't been pushing it much. But you know, make sure you follow us there. Send your questions into mdinfo at modernjumper.com. Next week is going to be an all-question-and-answer session uh, as we're prepping for Johnston Ooh. to be in Greece for two weeks. We're going to have a little fun there. So if you want to get your last-minute questions in, uh, audio questions will definitely be top priority. Wink, wink. mdinfo at modernjumper.com. Um, yeah, so that's it. So we've got an outro beat here by Brad. So wow. this, I think you he really said, gave it up for Brad. Brad Needle. So this, I'm reading his description. He says, um, this is from 1992. Mm. This is Brad Trent with his band, uh, with his brother, his brother Dave. So it's a straight ahead rock song called Melon Ball from 1992. Brad Needles, bringing it way back. <laughs> that, was that, was, that was great DJing, bro. <laughs> All right, get down here. I'll see you tomorrow. Fine, whatever, (laughs) if you're lucky.